chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to continue on, as Chad mentioned, in our series, Gospel-Shaped Living, and uh, the title of this lesson, lesson number 2, is A United Church in a Divided World. And one of the things we have to understand, or one of the things we have to realize, that division, misunderstanding, separation, are all realities in our world that we live in today. And uh, they're inevitable. They just happen. But you know what? Unfortunately, they also exist in the church. And that's what we want to talk about tonight. They're in the church as well. Even, even though God's people are called uh, to be different and to be united, sometimes these divisions, these separations, still are with us today in the church. So how can we be different? How can we be different when our churches are, are abundant with selfish sinners? You ever thought about that? It's tough. And in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, the, the Apostle Paul shares with us what it is that we can do. Now, this is not the main text tonight. I just want this to be stuck in your mind as we continue. Here Paul is talking about a one body. And so I just want to read it through and then talk about it briefly, and then we have some other things in store. So in, in Ephesians chapter 2, let's start reading in verse 11. Paul writes, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Remember that. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Then look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and, and, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility and he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We're going to stop there. Paul's talking about this one body thing that the church should have. We should be united in one body, in one purpose, one cause, one spirit. Is what he's talking about here. The Ephesian society was full of division. They, uh, they, they were divided along political lines. They were divided along class lines. They were divided along gender uh, lines. They were, they were divided along racial lines. They were especially uh, uh, divided between the Jews and the Gentiles. A big separation there. And one of the reasons that their horizontal relationships were broken was because their vertical relationship with God was broken. But it doesn't have to remain that way. Look what it says in verse 13. I love that little phrase, but now. But now, he says, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, it doesn't have to remain this way in the church. There doesn't have to be this division in the church. Through the cross, both Jew and Gentile, both black and white, both rich and poor, male and female, whatever it is that, that divides us doesn't need to be there anymore. We can be reconciled to each other 
Folks, that's the way the Christian is supposed to live. That's what the church is supposed to look like. Christians are a new race, so to speak. Amen? They are. Our identity is in Christ. Our identity is not in our skin color. It's not in our political views. It's not in how much money we make or how much money we don't make. But it's in Christ. And that's what draws us together into one body and one spirit. And so I want you to listen to what Vermont Pierre has to say about this in a couple of videos that we're going to watch. He does a much better job than, than I could do. So. For more than two decades, the people of North Sudan and South Sudan have warred against each other. Their conflict eventually led to Sudan splitting into two separate countries, which remain in a state of tense hostility even today. Australia's early history involved much conflict between Aborigines and the British settlers. For more than half of the 20th century, Australian governments pursued what some have called a White Australia policy. For more than half of the 20th century, racial segregation laws in the United States enforced a separation between whites and blacks at various levels of society. These laws have long been abolished, yet a kind of self-imposed separation still exists in many parts of the U.S. Similar separation is seen in most cities of the world between the poor or lower class and the middle and upper class. Certain parts are considered the hood or the ghetto, and are generally avoided by the prosperous. Other parts of town are considered nice, with the unspoken understanding that if you live there, you'll only have to interact with people who fit nice standards. Division, separation, segregation. These examples are just a few of many that show how regularly and how natural separation and division are to us. There's a strong cultural push to form relationships with those who are like you in some way, and to define yourself in distinction from other people. We divide and separate from one another based on our politics, music, clothing, education, accent, citizenship. And we make those differences sharper by stereotyping people from other groups. It's a great sadness to say that the church today often seems just as prone to separation and segregation. Church planning proposals follow strategies that start churches aimed at one type of person only, just young singles or just families or only African Americans, despite the fact that they will be based in diverse areas. And churches that avoid this trap often set up their ministry structures in a way that effectively segregate people into separate groups. Sometimes you only ever interact with someone different from you during the 30 seconds in church when you say hello to your neighbor. Against this backdrop, the gospel speaks a radical message, a message that calls for disciples of Jesus to be made from all nations and then unites these different peoples into one community called the church. The church is to be a community of such strong and vibrant unity, it's best described as being one body. That's not to say that specialist ministries that seek to reach particular groups are wrong. But it is to say that whole churches that follow this pattern are in some way not expressing something that is at the very heart of the gospel message. 
Let's pause now to listen to Paul as he describes how the gospel breaks down all these barriers that are so common in the world without Christ and what it means to be part of one body. Paul's words to the Ephesians show us the origins and inner workings of this one-body unity. Paul writes in the first century to the local church of Ephesus. This church, the Ephesian community church, existed in a world that, like our own world today, was full of division and conflict. There were class divisions. Slaves were seen as property, without any right to expect to be treated fairly. There were civil and political divisions. Roman citizens had legal rights and protections in the courts. Non-citizens did not. One law for them, another law for us. There were gender divisions. Women were viewed as having worth and significance only when connected to a man. Apart from that, women often had limited legal rights. And there were racial divisions between Jews and non-Jews or, or Gentiles. Every type of division you can think of Racial, social, political, religious existed between these two groups. Jews saw Gentiles as irreligious, unclean barbarians. A prayer that Jewish men were encouraged to pray every morning said, I thank you that you have not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Gentiles had similar disgust for the Jews. They saw Jews as superstitious and weak. Jews were prideful and difficult to deal with following a silly religion that had the foolish audacity to claim that there is only one God. It's here we see that the biggest separation and division in our world is actually not between different people, but between all people and God. Ultimately, all people are in conflict with and separated from God, which is the root cause that leads people to living in conflict and separation from one another. The relationship between God and man is the most long-standing, most severely dysfunctional, and unreconciled relationship in the universe. Our broken horizontal relationships with each other ultimately come from a broken vertical relationship with God. It could have remained this way. Yet everything changed for our world through the gospel pronouncement, which Paul introduces with this ringing phrase, But now in Christ Jesus. All that kept people apart from God, like failing to obey the law of God or not being part of the commonwealth of Israel, has been dealt with by the death of Jesus on behalf of sinful men and women. Through the cross, both Jew and non-Jew are reconciled to God. And because people are reconciled to God, they can now in a very real way be reconciled to one another. Before, they were two bodies that hated each other and were separated on every level, spiritual, physical, ethnically, and culturally. But on the cross of Christ, a miracle happened. The reconciling action of Christ creates one body out of these two bitter enemies. In the new community that Jesus has created, there's now one new man in place of the two. Paul doesn't dismiss the racial and social backgrounds of the Jewish Christian and the Gentile Christian in the church as if they didn't matter. But now, in Christ, 
Whatever it means to be the Jew or the Gentile is to be seen through the lens of something fundamentally brand new. One new man. We need to understand how bold and radical this is. To say that there is one new man is to say that the Christian church is in fact a new race or a new humanity. One that supersedes being only Jewish or only Gentile. This Christian race is one where the defining characteristic is not the color of your skin or your cultural heritage or your national citizenship or your political leanings. It's not defined by how educated you are or how much money you have. It's not defined by what marital status or what kind of career you have. It's not defined by your age or your abilities. It's defined first and foremost by blood that we all have the same blood flowing through our spiritual veins, the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, let me be clear. This isn't to say that ethnicity, gender, or socioeconomic status have totally vanished. These all give a particular flavor and shape to a Christian self-identity. It allows for expressions of Christianity that are unique, yet also faithful to the gospel. Nevertheless, in all this, our most basic identity, our last name, is to be found in Christ. Being in Christ is what fundamentally defines me. Whoever we are, ethnically or socially, has been radically reformatted by God through Jesus. Where there were points within us that would naturally divide us from God and from others, they are redesigned for us to fit together with God and with other people. The result of all this is a church community whose people have real differences from one another, yet amazingly remain united. These truths have several implications for the local church, particularly in a day and age where cities are full of people from multiple cultures, ethnicities, and social statuses. What this should tell us is that the local church should be a multi-demographic church, a community made up of the multiple ethnicities and social classes that are in their area, and not just one. A fundamental value then for local church ministry should be to establish local churches that welcome and include as many people in our local communities as possible. This means local churches made up of people from all kinds of ethnic background, social class, educational training, economic power, and age range. This means local churches cultivating friendships across barriers. This means a greater variety of people leading the meetings on Sunday and intentionally seeking to train a wider spectrum of people for positions in the church leadership. It means being flexible on musical styles. It means being careful not to elevate our particular cultural preferences to the status of being gospel necessities. When we were outside of Christ, we were happy to be divided and separated. We were happy to look down on other groups, to think ourselves better than them. But now we're in Christ, and it should be intolerable for us to think and live like that. And we should pursue this unity because the church is our everlasting family. In eternity, we'll be worshiping Jesus with our brothers and sisters from every nation, race, and tongue. So let's start doing that right now.
See, he does the introduction far better than me. And with that in mind, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I do want to focus on this passage tonight where we can look at it in a little uh, more detail on how we take this, uh, help us to achieve this one body, this one part of the local body of believers. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we have a passage of scripture that helps us, I think, uh, we want to look at it, see how we can break this down in ways in which we can understand. And, uh, you know, Jesus, when he was ministering here on this earth, he uh, instinctively knew how to explain profound truths to us in a way in which uh, the common person could understand in a common language. Well, Paul does the same thing here after having followed in the footsteps of Jesus. He explains this hard-to-grasp truth for us uh, about unity and about diversity in this new body of Christ thing, using language that we can all understand. He uses the analogy of the, of the human body. Now, we're gonna, not going to read this whole passage of Scripture together. We're going to break it down as we go through, and it'll take a little less time that way. I want to look tonight at, uh, take a look at five major points in this passage of Scripture. And uh, the reason why I think it's important for us to try to understand this together is because put yourself, not just in our local body here, but uh, back in the day in the church of Corinth, which we talked about a little bit about this morning, uh, these truths that we're going to look at were hard to grasp for them because of, the, of the, uh, the hatred, if you will, that they had between uh, the different classes of people, different groups of people, and as we already mentioned, certainly different between the Jews and the Greeks. So I want to look at five points to help us understand this one body thing. The first point I want to look at is that there are many parts of this body, but just one whole unit. There are many parts, but just one whole unit. And, you know, instead of some long, dry theological discussion, which uh, many of the people wouldn't understand anyhow back in the day, Paul likens the union of, uh, of the parts of our physical body to the spiritual oneness that... Uh, uh, that he's trying to convey here. So look with me in verse 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look what Paul says. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. And then he says this, So it is with who? With Christ. Let's read that again. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body Though many are one body, so it is with Christ. You know what this means? It means from the, the top of our heads to the, to the bottom of our feet, each part, each part of our bodies, though they're diverse, are part of a whole. Correct? They're, they're a part of a whole. So likewise, each member of Christ, although we may be diverse, each part of God's church is the same unit. And we have to start thinking along that line. We're not separate. We're not individuals. We're part of, of one body, one spirit, one unit. And I'm talking about the local church now. We're, we're part of the one unit. We may look different. We have different gifts, and we'll talk about that. But we're still part of one local body. Paul tells us why this is in verses uh, 13 and 14. Follow along with me. He says in verse 13, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, 
and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of what? But of many. It doesn't consist of just, it doesn't consist of just one member, but of many. It is because of the Holy Spirit's ministry that we're all part of the same body or the same unit in this case. It's because of the Holy Spirit. All believers, think about this. No matter, no matter whether you're a person in Indonesia or whether you're a person in Hong Kong or whether you're a person in the inner city or, or whether you're a person in the frontiers of Alaska, if you're, if, if, if you're a believer and you've trusted Christ as your Savior, all believers are members of the same body because we've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now, you're going to get some out there. This is a little side note. This will be free. You're going to get some out there that will tell you, uh, that you may run into, that tell you that, you that that you or they haven't been baptized by the Holy Spirit yet because some sort of gift or proof or experience hasn't been bestowed upon them yet or whatever. Folks, don't, don't believe it because the Bible commands us the Bible commands us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but being baptized by the Holy Spirit is not of us. See, when we put our trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit baptizes us for how long? Permanently. He baptizes us permanently, changing our identity from Satan's family to God's family. So we're baptized by the Holy Spirit when we trust Christ as our Savior. So, this is what it's saying here. For In verse 13, For one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not, it does not consist of one member, but of many. So that's the first point, that there are many, many parts, but just one unit, or just one body. Now the second point I want to share with you is there are many parts, and each one is very important. This is the part where it gets a little, little personal. There are many parts, but each one is very important. That's the next thing Paul does when he builds upon this analogy of the human body as he illustrates the, the significance of each believer in the body. Before we read it, I want you to think about this. Suppose, suppose of, of all the body parts that aren't attractive, so to speak, could talk. Okay? We're going to look at that. Suppose you're, I don't know, I don't want any suggestions of an unattractive body part, but uh, I don't know, your nose. You're, you guys all have great noses, I'm sure, but that's the, your nose. It's not the most attractive body part. Suppose it could talk. You ever wondered what it might say? Like, why am I here? Why am I not over here? Or, you know, someplace else and... What is my function? Look what, look what Paul says here in verse 15. He says, if the foot should say, see, Paul's wondering the same thing. What if, what if, uh, what if my foot could talk? Well, if, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Now think about that. Suppose your parts could talk. What would they say? You know, you know what he's saying here? He's saying even though, oh, I don't know, even though our floppy ears, our big floppy ears and our big feet are less appealing than our clean hands and our, 
and our bright, sparkly eyes that people notice, they're still very vital to the body. It doesn't make any difference what they look like. It doesn't make any difference where they're placed. It doesn't make any difference uh, how it comes together. They're still a very important part of the body. Well, folks, it's the same way with every single Christian here. And we're going we're gonna to zoom in on the local body. Every member of the body of Christ, but let's make it closer, every member of the local body, a local church, every member performs a significant function for the entire body. You know, and that function is, is for the body of Christ. It's not for ourselves. And that's kind of sometimes where we get, get off track. You know, it's like, well, you know, I, I know I can do that, and I know... God is leading me in that direction, but I just don't feel like it, okay? Well, you're doing that in a selfish way. The rest of the body needs you. They need what you can do. They need the gifts God has given you to function at its best. So it's not for yourself. It's for the rest of the body. And that's what Paul is saying here. Suppose every part said that. Suppose every part of your body said that. Suppose every part of the body of Christ said that. We'd, have, we'd be splintered everywhere, wouldn't we? That's what Paul is telling the Corinthians here. Look at me in verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where, what, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Now I can only imagine, if I was listening to Paul, as I read this, you know, in my mind, that's exactly what I think. Okay? I want you to think, suppose the whole body was an eye. First of all, that would be as weird as could be. But if it was, how could we hear? Did you ever think about that? How could we hear if the whole body was an eye? Or suppose the whole body was one great big huge ear. One great big huge ear. How could we smell anything if that was the case? I want, you to, I want you to picture this in your mind, because I did when I was looking at this, and it's kind of weird. If we were one big ear, how weird looking would that be? You know? It'd be, you ever see, I've seen a Twilight Zone <laughs> episode similar to that, you know? They, everybody had like a pig face, and they were the normal ones, and the one who looked normal, they were outcasts, and they put them on another planet or something like that. Think about that. If we were just one big ear... If everyone looked the same, we'd have no sense of smell, we'd have no sight. Of course, if we didn't have a sight, we would know what each other looked like anyhow. So, but we'd be losing out in so much if we were just one big ear. They'd have no taste. Now, we'd probably be able to hear great, correct? That part of our body would work very well. But without the other members, it wouldn't be much use, would it? And that's what Paul says here. If the whole body were an eye, where would, be, where, where would the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would, what were, where would be the sense of smell? You see, God didn't create bodies that have only one function. And the body of Christ has many functions. That would be grotesque and not really any body at all. It would just be some monstrosity monstrosity that nobody would want to come around. It wouldn't be attractive to those outside. So here, here's the problem we have quite often, though. 
and at least with this. Here's what happens. If you've been gifted, let's say, as a foot, all right, you're in the body of Christ and you've been gifted as a foot, it's easy to look at the, the, the hands or the gifted hands and, and think, oh my, look how skilled those hands are. Look how capable they are. I wish I was that skilled or capable. I wish I was a hand and not just a foot. Is that true? And you start to feel that you're just not that important at all because you're not a hand. You're a foot. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to think. That's exactly what Satan wants you to think. He'll do anything to make you feel that way, and it's very effective. He'll do anything to make you feel that you're not important. You're not as important as this other part. You're not as important as this other area of the body. Don't buy into it, folks. We are many parts, and each one is very important. And when you don't use the gifts and talents God's given you for the body of Christ, you're not the only one that suffers. The entire body suffers. Point number three. There are many parts, and all are dependent on one another. There are many parts, and we're all dependent on one another. In a healthy body of believers, there's no room for independence. There's just no room for it at all. All the members depend on each other to be able to function. Here's the key, to be able to function at their best. And that's what we want to do, right? He mentions it here again in verse 20. If you follow along, it says, As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. He's going back to the many parts, one unit thing. But then he says in verse 21, look what he says. He says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has, listen, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Oh, now think about this. Here's, here's a good example of what Paul is saying here. It's a short example, but it's a good example. The eye may be able to see, let's say, the eye may be able to see a hurt child or a child in need, but could never reach out to comfort the child or could never reach out to meet the need of that child like the hand could. Does that make sense? Your eyes just can't do that. The eye could see it. The eye could, under, even to a point, know what's going on, but it could do nothing but watch. The hand could reach out and bring comfort. See how we need both? Go like this, or like this if you don't see it. That's why it's important. All parts are important. There are many parts, and we're all dependent upon each other. We're all important in that respect. It's the same way as some members in the body of Christ seem insignificant on the surface, but they're very necessary for all. I was thinking of the tiny... I was reading about the tiny bones when I was looking some of this up, tiny bones that are in our inner ear. You, can, you can't see them. You don't know they're there. 
but they hold the secret to the world of hearing for each and every one of us. We don't think about them, but yet they're needed by us. They're very important. We depend upon them to do their job so that we can hear. So much more could be said about the parts that are unpresentable, and we just don't have time to, to do that. But you get the idea. You get the idea of all our parts are dependent upon each other to function at our best. And that's something that we need to think about. See, can we function with one arm? I mean, you must know somebody who only has one arm. Can they function? Can they function at their best? Usually not. You see, that's, that's the key. And we're going to talk about that in a second. We need to be able to function at our best. And, and if you look down here in verse 24, it says, which are more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, having greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body. Verse 25 says that. He composed this stuff. He wants us to, to function at our very best. He wants us to be the, the most healthy that we can be. He doesn't want to be, he doesn't want a sickly church. He doesn't want a weak church. He wants a healthy, functioning, at its best people to glorify him and serve him. Now, that's why in the body of Christ there are many who are behind the scenes. I guess you would say they'd be like the inward parts that we can't see. They're behind the scenes. They're, they're doing many things, cleaning or, or caring for others or, or praying or planning and on and on and on. The list could, could go on and on. Those you never see. But they're using the gifts of God that God has given them to, 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 for the body to function at its best. They don't get all the recognition. They don't get all the hoopla. They don't get the headlines. They don't get to stand up on the platform every Sunday. And, and you see them. But without them, we would not function at our best. Without them, we would, we would be unhealthy as a church. And that's what Paul talks about here. Look at verse 25 again with me. He says that there, are, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. Think about this. I want you to think about this. Paul explains why God created us to be interdependent upon one another. Here's a good example. It can be something as simple, if you want to think of the human body, something as simple as an infected tonsils. How many here have ever had bad tonsils? Okay. I've never had that, but I understand it's not pleasant. It affects more than just your throat, correct? It, it, it affects the entire body. You can't eat or you don't want to eat. You can't sing. You can't talk. You can't sleep. So, it's, so, so just as the whole body suffers, as this passage of Scripture says, when, when we're sick, when a member is sick, so it is rejuvenated when the member feels better. Isn't that true? That's how the body should function. Look what it says. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Verse 26 says this. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. 
That's what the body does. I don't know, maybe you guys are different, but I know when I've become sick or hurt myself, I don't know if my other parts of the body are saying, here, good, I'm glad. I'm glad he got that sickness, you know? My, you know, I'm glad he's got a terrible headache. You know, I don't know if my, if my feet could talk. I'm glad he serves him right for walking all that ways. You know, or something like that. That's just not the way we function to stay healthy, correct? We don't wish that upon one another. I'm glad so-and-so's suffering. I'm glad they're suffering. Because you know what? They're, they're suffering because, you know what? Last week they said something to me that just really upset me. Right? So they deserve to suffer. That's not the body. That's not the body depending upon each other. That's not the body working together. That's not what he's talking about. When one member of the body is experiencing suffering, so then should we all. And when one member of the body is experiencing joy, then should we all experience joy. That's how a healthy body functions. That's how your body functions. Now, the fourth point I want to look at, there are many parts, but there are no exclusive ones. There are no exclusive ones. Up until now, Paul has had been using the analogy of the human body as one unit that functions together, but now he starts to emphasize uh, the spiritual side of his analogy here, explaining that there's no such thing as exclusive gifts in the body of Christ. Here, Paul deals with an error, if you will, that the Corinthians uh, have been dealing with in their theology. You see, they, they had inflated uh, the value of, of some of the sign gifts. They made uh, the sole use of these gifts, especially speaking in tongues, the single evidence that you were possessed by the Holy Spirit. So you had to, you had to, had to, had to demonstrate some of these gifts, and then when you did that, they would say, oh, well, that person does possess the Holy Spirit. Remember, they struggled with being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, especially speaking in tongues, that was the big one back then. And Paul tells them here that uh, that's just not so. So if, if, if you look with me down in verse 29, you've got to skip on, skip on down 27, 20, go to verse 29. He says, Paul says, are all apostles, you can write after that, if you're writing your Bible, no, okay, are all prophets? No. I'm adding that part on, so, you know. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No, of course not. And do all speak with tongues? No. And do all interpret? No. Think about this. That's what Paul's asking them. Uh, Paul, he tells them straight up that, do, do, do all of you possess all these things? No. No, we do not. Paul makes it clear that there is no single gift is more important than the other. There's none that's exclusive from the other. And, if, and, 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 and in fact, he even puts the, the, the gifts on a, a, on a scale, a different scale than, than each other. In other words, he, he's saying if you weigh them together, they wouldn't come out even. Some would be, some would be heavier than others. Some would be, as much as we hate to think about it, more important than others. Not more necessary than others, but maybe more important than others. I want you to look at the order in which he gives us this. So go back up to verse 27. He says, remember he asked about those, are, are, do, are all apostles, are all uh, prophets, are all teachers? Then he says, now you are the body of Christ. 
Understand that? You are the body of Christ. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. That's basically the summary of what we've been talking about. You are the body of Christ and individually you're members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles. Then what's he say? Second, prophets. Third, teachers. Then miracles. Then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. That brings us to our fifth point. There are many parts, but some are more powerful than others. There are many parts of the body, but some are more powerful than others. Paul states, just as no human body is exclusive as an eye, or no human part is exclusive as an eye, the Christ's body is composed of people who possess the same gift, but some are weightier than others. This doesn't mean, please don't, please don't take this wrong, that doesn't mean that they are more important than others, they're just maybe more prominent than some. And there's a reason for that. Look at verse 31. Because Paul says, but earnestly desire what? The higher gifts. The more prominent gifts, if you will. The more powerful gifts. It's interpreted sometimes with that term. Paul urges us to earnestly desire the greater gifts, the more powerful gifts. The gifts are, 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 those gifts are, are the gifts of prophecy, they are the gifts of teaching, and they are the gifts that build up the, here's the key, they build up the whole body of Christ. Some other gifts are less powerful. How do we know that? You ask. I'm going to tell you. Look in verse 28. God has appointed in the church What? You can say it. This is like a lesson, okay? First, apostles, okay? Then what is second? Prophets. What is third? Teachers. Then, miracles. And then, gifts of healing, helping, administration. There's a reason that this order is here. There are some gifts that are more prominent, more powerful than others. And these gifts build up the whole body of Christ. They are not more important than the others. They're just more prominent because of their function of building up the whole body. The other gifts are less, less powerful, if you will, if you like that term, such as tongues, and they build up a smaller part of the body of Christ. How do we know that? I'm glad you asked that too, okay? Go over to chapter 14. Just on my Bible, it's the next page. Look at verse 1. Paul says this, Pursue love. And earnestly desire what? The spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. What, where did that land? That was on number two, back here in verse 20, uh, back here in verse 28. Especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For one who understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up what? The church. There are some gifts that build up the whole body. 
And there's some that builds up to a smaller part. So uh, there may be more, they maybe have more influence or they're just more prominent, whatever the case may be. And there are, other, there are other gifts that have a smaller part. They build up a smaller part of the body. But they are all necessary. Understand this. They are all necessary for maximum health of the body of Christ. So I hope you got that before you leave here tonight. And somebody walks up to you and says, you know, Pastor Ron said there's some gifts that are, are important and some that aren't important. You missed it if you said that. There are some more prominent, but they're not more important. There's some that build up the whole body and some that build up a smaller part of the body. But they're all necessary for the church to remain healthy at its best. So, being a united church in a divided world, as we've seen, Paul tells us in Ephesians that we are to be one body, united for bringing glory to God as his church. Why? Well, because we are a new race. We, we Christians, we're a new group of people, we're new creatures, and there's no place among us for divisions because of our ethnic backgrounds or our politics or our class or whatever he may come up with. God has made us and given us each different gifts. Amen? Each one of us. And they are important to the whole body. Without each other, without each other, we cannot function at our best. And the best is the way God intended us to function. Wouldn't you agree? And so that's what we need to remember. So being united, being a united church in a divided world depends on each and every one of us who are baptized into the Holy Spirit. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I do thank you for your word tonight in this lesson. Help us, Father, to strive for unity of the, of the Spirit, to be one body, to be close to you, Father, to function at our, at our maximum health, Father. We just... We want to serve you. We want to do what is right in your eyes, always together. Help us not to be independent believers. Help us to, to, to feel for one another. And, to, and when one suffers, we all suffer. When one, one rejoices, we all rejoice. Help us to, uh, to get that spirit in us here as we worship together at First Baptist. Thank you so much for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.